In the first two years after the rise of Islamic State, the group captured large swathes of territory across both Iraq and Syria, laying siege to major towns and cities across the region. However, around 2015, rebel forces as well as security forces from both Iraq and Syria began to push back, mounting their own offensive operations against Islamic State-held strongholds. After that, Islamic State territory was steadily eroded until they were finally left with the small town of Baghuz, close to the Iraqi border in Syria's Deir Azor province in the southeast. But what threat do they pose now? I'm Max Taylor, Senior Regional Analyst at Intelligence Fusion covering the Middle East and Asia region. And this is The Insight. Since the rise of Islamic State, the group has captured large swathes of territory in both Syria and Iraq. In both countries, government forces as well as rebel, rebel forces face issues such as poor coordination, poor supply and poor leadership when facing highly motivated and highly mobile Islamic State militants. As Islamic State began to gain more and more territory, their attacks increased in size and boldness, with Islamic State using their territory to harbour major, to harbour major attacks using large numbers of forces, and security forces increasingly found themselves overwhelmed by Islamic State groups. It's been two years since Islamic State lost its final territorial stronghold in Syria, but yet the group still remains a significant threat. Islamic State continues to carry out its activities in the form of IEDs and military attacks against both military and civilian targets, as well as funding its activities through methods such as extortion of civilians. Islamic State's adaptation following the loss of its territory and the the persistence of societal factors which contributed to its beginning mean that Islamic State is expected to remain a significant threat in 2021 and onwards. This week, we're discussing whether or not Islamic State has made a resurgence following the loss of its last territorial stronghold in Syria almost two years ago to the day. As always, if you like our content, please like, share and subscribe. Background Since the rise of Islamic State, the group has been able to capture large swathes of territory in both Syria and Iraq. Security forces and rebel forces who opposed Islamic State found that the Islamic State militants were highly motivated, whereas security forces were often poorly led, poorly equipped and poorly organised in the face of these attacks. The result was that Islamic State was able to capture major cities such as Raqqa, Fallujah and Deir Azor City in Syria. More recently, US forces as well as other foreign backers have begun coalitions to target Islamic State militants and this support has come in the form of airstrikes, logistical support as well as special forces personnel operating on the ground in both countries. As a result of this support, Foreign-backed rebel groups such as the Syrian Democratic Forces as well as the Syrian government forces backed by their Russian allies have been able to push back Islamic State to what we see today where Islamic State currently holds no no territory in either Syria or Iraq. At its height, Islamic State held territory territory across eastern Syria in areas such as Deir Azor province, Raqqa province as well as the northern Kurdish majority province of Syria. In Iraq, provinces such as Anbar, Kirkuk, Salhadin, Nineveh and Diyala all saw significant Islamic State presence with Islamic State holding major cities such as such as Mosul, Tikrit, Fallujah and the major border crossing of Al-Qaim. Over time and with support of foreign backers and the reorganisation of security forces in the region, Islamic State rapidly lost its territory, leading to its final stronghold in the small Syrian town of Baghuz, on the, close to the border with Iraq. The current threat. Since losing its last, last territory in Syria, Islamic State has been forced to adapt to the changing situation. Before, when the group held territory, it could use its territory to tax locals as well as extort money from business owners and use income from the oil, from the oil reserves which they had captured during the recent fighting and in some cases sell this back to the Syrian government itself. Now, without these financial, these financial revenues, Islamic State has been forced to adapt and, and currently uses methods such as extortion of civilians as well as demanding zakat tax from local businesses as a way of funding its operations. 
Also, in order to try and reduce its uh, in order to try and reduce its expenses, the group is much more decentralized rather than what we saw before, which was a much more centralized uh, Islamic state, which in some ways was run parallel to how we imagine conventional states operate in the modern day with taxation and provision of local services. This new decentralized cell structure allows Islamic State to operate much more self-sufficiently in small groups, and this has also been reflected in the group's tactics. The tactics, tactics of Islamic State since the fall of its final territory do in many ways remain similar. However, what we've seen more so now is rather than large-scale attacks on major population centers, Islamic State is much more reliant on small-scale ambushes such using uh, IEDs and small arms, as well as occasional indirect fire incidents targeting civilian and military targets. The boldness of the attacks, however, has started to increase. So immediately after they lost their territory, Islamic State was really struggling for numbers as well as resources. However, more, re- however, more recently in the last two years, we've seen Islamic State starting to carry out larger attacks on more heavily guarded convoys and security positions. A really good example of this is in the desert between Raqqa, Derazor, Homs and Hama in Syria. And this desert is an incredibly isolated part of the country with very few people. However, there is one major highway running from Derazor through Sukhna to Palmyra in this region. And this road in particular has proven to be highly insecure with Islamic State militants carrying out major attacks along this road frequently. What's more, these attacks normally result in very high casualties as Syrian government forces continue to operate non-armoured vehicles such as civilian buses to carry its soldiers on this incredibly dangerous road. Quite recent anecdotal reporting has suggested that Syrian government convoys are reluctant to travel along this very major highway in Syria now without gunship support from MI-24s. And we've seen videos of gunships flying at very low level alongside convoys in broad daylight to try and deter Islamic State militants from carrying out attacks. Nevertheless, in this year alone, there's already been a series of high-profile attacks on this road, all of which have targeted Syrian government forces or oil tankers escorted by Syrian government forces. In Iraq, the situation is fairly similar. However, it is also noticeable that Islamic State cells operate much closer to civilian populations, whereas in Syria they've generally used the Syrian desert to try and reorganise and regroup. In Iraq, provinces such as Diyala, Salahuddin and Nineveh see Islamic State incidents frequently reported among populated village areas in, rural, in the rural parts of the province. The result is that civilians are frequently exposed to Islamic State violence and extortion, with multiple incidents being uh, being recorded in which Islamic State has either kidnapped farmers and murdered them, or kidnapped for ransom civilians, knowing that the family is highly likely to pay extortionate amounts of money. As mentioned earlier, these methods have been used to try and supply the ongoing Islamic State operations as they occur on a daily basis in all of the regions mentioned. Just this week alone, three major attacks involving IS militants targeting security forces in rural areas have been recorded, two of which close to Baghdad. In the first, on the 21st of March, a soldier was wounded by a suspected IS sniper in the Tamir area, just north of Baghdad. In the second incident, the next day, a cache of, of weapons was found by security forces again in the Tamir area, which has proven to be a hotbed of Islamic State activity in the recent months. And finally, and more recently, a member of security forces were killed during a clash of IS militants in the Tuskomatu district on the 24th of March. In addition to these attacks in the rural areas that we've just just highla- highlighted, attacks in urban areas are also very highly likely. And whilst these are less common, Islamic State does ins- does still possess the capacity and the will to carry out major high casualty events in places such as Baghdad and Mosul City in particular. The resurgence. It's hard to verify whether Islamic State has actually made a resurgence in Iraq and Syria or whether the activity has remained at a constant high level of threat since the loss of territory two years ago. However, 
There is some evidence to suggest that Islamic State has been making a resurgence and it is expected to continue doing so as well. For example, earlier we mentioned the desert area between Raqqa, Deir Ezzor, Homs and Hama in Syria. And this isolated area has acted as a staging platform for Islamic State. And with the area being so remote, the Islamic State has been able to use this area to, as, a, as a platform to launch more operations and gather more strength and store more caches of weapons. It's expected that this isolated area, as well as other similar areas such as Ambar province in Iraq, will provide safe havens for Islamic State as security forces struggle to, to comb the deep wadis and mountainous areas searching for small cells of Islamic State militants. In addition, the societal factors which actually cause the insecurity that we see in Iraq and Syria to this day still very much exist. Features such as high levels of corruption amongst local government officials in particular has caused economies in, the, in both Syria and Iraq to struggle in these post-war years as both countries have seen high levels of unemployment, particularly among young men. Also in Iraq, Shia militias under the banner of the Popular Mobilization Forces or the PMF, which is an Iran-backed militia organization, have started to be deployed to more Sunni areas across the country. And this has brought inevitable tensions, sectarian tensions, between Sunni and Shia communities, as these largely Shia militias have been accused of carrying out atrocities and crimes against Sunni populations. Tensions between the Sunni and Shia communities have also manifested themselves in Iraqi politics, where Iranian influence and US influence has jostled for control over the Iraqi parliamentary system. Protests in the south of Iraq among the Shia communities, for example, have tried to shun foreign influence, whereas protesters in, nor- in, the, in northern Sunni provinces have been more reluctant to take to the streets, fearing that they may be branded as extremists by the largely Shia security forces in the PMF. In the two years since Islamic State lost its territory, we have seen Islamic State carrying out increasingly bold attacks as well. The cells have increased in size, and the targets, more so than not, are heavily armoured military convoys or military positions, and often lead to high casualties among militias or, su- or government forces defending the positions. This suggests that Islamic State is increasing in boldness and is increasing in audacity as it carries out these attacks, and also suggests that the group has acquired the capability to carry out increasingly larger attacks and the weapons to go with them. With this in mind, it is expected that Islamic State is expected to remain a a very significant security threat in Iraq and Syria, and this is likely to continue throughout 2021 and onwards. To summarise, we have recorded frequent Islamic State activity in major areas such as the Raqqa, Deir Ezzor, Homs, Hamad Desert, as well as, as well as provinces such as Anbar, Kirkuk, Salahuddin, Nineveh and Diyala. In addition to this, we've also seen Islamic State militants in the form of small cells carrying out attacks in major population centres, in particular cities and towns in Deir Ezzor province in eastern Syria, as well as Raqqa City, the former capital of the Islamic State Caliphate. These attacks are expected to continue as Islamic State gains, gains its, uh, increases its capacity and increases in size throughout the region. Insights IS remains a major security threat. Despite losing its, its final territorial stronghold in Syria over two years ago, the group carries out frequent attacks against civilian targets and population centres, as well as against military targets in rural areas. It is not expected that the group has the strength to carry out another attack against a major population centre like we saw them do in early 2014 and 2015. However, isolated positions and small rural villages remain at high threat. Root threat assessments of main roads in the region are key. As Islamic State capacity increases, attacks on main highways in places such as Deir Ezzor and Anbar province are expected to increase. Tactics may include IEDs, suicide vehicle bombs and small ambushes carried out by Islamic State cells. Key driving factors of insecurity such as high unemployment, corruption and poor living conditions all exist in Iraq to this day and these factors all contributed to the rise of Islamic State back in 2013-2014. 
without any significant governmental reform aimed at addressing these 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 factors, it is expected that Islamic State will continuously be able to recruit from disenfranchised youths across both countries. Thanks for watching this week's podcast, and please feel free to leave a comment if you have any questions. Here at Intelligence Fusion, we find, monitor, and analyze incidents across the world from our 24-7 operations center. We use the intelligence cycle and military principles to provide actionable insight into the global security landscape. To take a closer look at the data behind our assessment, or to see how your business could benefit from a tailored intelligence feed, click on the link in the podcast description.